Good morning, everyone. The uh, first service, this is working all right. We had we had trouble with my mic a little bit, so we're going to try this again. Um, the first service, they, they told me before I ever started, as they were coming in the door, they're like, look, Laura, we've eaten a lot of food the past few days, and our eyes are kind of glazed over, so you're going to have to work really hard to keep us awake. And uh, I informed them very quickly, I've eaten a lot as well, and so my eyes feel a little glazed over, but we're going to try this together, all right? Uh, we've all heard that the age-old debate... Nature versus nurture, which one most powerfully shapes who we become, right? Definitely nature plays a part, that genetic uh, makeup of who we are. For example, uh, it just wasn't in the cards that I was going to be a tall person, right? Like this is, this is the best that it was going to get for me. Uh, but then there is the nurture part. You know, we have the experiences that, that we get as children. We have the environment that we grew up in. We have the opportunities that we're given. And all of those things definitely weigh very heavily into the equation. For example, there is a reason that I really love foods that are yellow. It's because in my home, it wasn't unusual for us to have a meal that looked like this. We would have mashed potatoes, corn, macaroni and cheese, and crescent rolls. Um, on one occasion, we asked my mother, we're like, where's the meat? And she said, well, mac and cheese is a meat substitute. And we said, yes, ma'am. And we kept on eating. Uh, but perhaps over this past week during Thanksgiving, you had the chance to observe how people with uh, perhaps similar genetic makeup, similar natures, um, have been nurtured in very different environments. It can be very interesting at times, right? Um, I had two Thanksgiving experiences this week. The first one was with my family, the Sparkses, and um, this is how the Sparks Thanksgiving went. We ate over 30 minutes late. Um, we ditched the typical Thanksgiving meal, and we instead made breakfast all together, all at once. It was utter chaos. I think we have a video of some of it going down. There's a bickering. Let the heat out, you know, like everybody giving instructions to everyone. And eventually we got it all done enough and we all sat down and ate. That's the Sparks Thanksgiving. But then I went to the Vincent Thanksgiving with my husband. And it was totally different, y'all. Um, we got there three hours early because, and I'm quoting Jeremy here, because you know we're going to eat before one o'clock, he said, um, even though one o'clock was the time everyone had been told to be there. And so we got there and Mama, Mama Pam, she had like prepped all the food except for um, the pumpkin pie I brought from the store. And uh, <laughs> Callie, would you like to tell them all what you brought? Cranberry sauce. She brought the cranberry sauce. She dipped it out of the can. <laughs> no, we let Pam do the cooking because she's good at it, right? We're not going to get in the way. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but I, I took a picture of when the meal was ready, all right? This, at 1221, everything was done, okay? And that meant that anyone who came after that time was late, um, even though they had 40 minutes to spare, right? I heard Anthony say a few times, and I appreciated this because I was hungry. Anthony said, can't we just go ahead and eat? It, it didn't matter that the few people weren't there yet, right? Um, but two 
two very different experiences, right? And so it has been very interesting as Jeremy and I are trying to nurture our own children, you know, like which way do we go, right? That can cause some conflict and tension at times. Nature definitely matters, but I think we all know that how we're nurtured matters a whole lot. And so today we are reaching the end of our journey where we are walking where Jesus walked. We've been going back through all the places where Jesus went in his lifetime. We started in Bethlehem where he was born. We looked at the shepherd's fields and then uh, we went on to the Jordan River and we got to see where he was baptized. Next, we went to Caesarea Philippi where his disciples finally have this light bulb moment and they're like, we see who you truly are. You're the Messiah, the son of God. Um, And And then we made our way to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent the majority of his time in his ministry going all around, until finally we made our way last week down to Jerusalem, where Jesus uh, was crucified. We spent some time with him there on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. But today we're going to circle back a little bit, and we're going to go back to the place where he was nurtured, where he spent most of the years of his life. However, the New Testament doesn't give us uh, a whole lot of ink about it. There's not a whole lot written about this place, but it is a place called Nazareth. Um, Nazareth, you can see up here on the map, it's near the north. You can see all the other places where we visited um, in contrast to where it is, but it's circled up there in kind of the orangey yellow. Um, Today, it is the largest city in the northern district of Israel. It has around 100,000 people. Um, 67% of the people who, or 69% of the people who live there are actually um, Muslim. And um, this is considered kind of like the Arab capital of Israel. And so this is the center of like their uh, religious and cultural and economic and political life together. However, back in the first century, Nazareth was pretty much just like this backwoods village. Um, You guys, you all think that Powderly, where I'm from, is like the sticks when I talk about it, right? Uh, But In comparison, Powderly is actually like a bustling little town compared to some of the other places in Muhlenberg County. Have you all ever heard of Cleeton? Cleeton has 167 people. You've heard of Cleeton. All right. I like it. Um, and, And then we have a place called Ennis. And Ennis, when you read about it, it just says that it is a populated place. They didn't even bother to try to count the people up, all right? That's Nazareth in the first century, okay? It is classified as a populated place. They think that there was just a couple of dozen families that made up that that whole village. And it was nestled in the valley of this mountain. Um, You can see over here to the left, you see where all that white is at the top of the mountain. That's not snow. That's Nazareth that we saw there um, closer up earlier. But imagine way back when, when there's only a couple dozen households that make up the whole town. You're not going to really see that village nestled up there. And the people who lived there, they liked it that way. They liked being kind of cut off from the outside world. They they grew their own food and provided for themselves. They took their faith very seriously, striving to live out the Torah. And because they were kind of hidden away from the rest of the world, whenever Israel was overrun by enemies like Rome and Greece, uh, they weren't really affected by all of the those other religions that came in with them. 
And so I think it's fair to say that Jesus grew up in a uh, small and safe and and somewhat um, kind of sheltered environment, making the influence of his, his parents all the greater in his life. When you go there today, you will find um, part of the village from the first century that they've unearthed. You can see, you know, remnants of, of structures that were there. But then you can see also here at the bottom of the screen, a cave, a cave in limestone, something we're very familiar with around here, right? Um, and most of the people who lived in first century Nazareth would have lived in a cave similar to this in the rocky hillside. In fact, Mary and her family lived in such a cave, and they believe that they've identified which one it was. It's this cave, um, and they believe this is the place where the angel Gabriel appeared to her. The place where Gabriel shows up out of nowhere and says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let's pause there for a moment because we're like, oh, this great glorious moment. There's an angel that appeared. But can we just get real for a second? How would you react if that actually happened in your life? You're just going about your business and, oh an angel, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what I would do. Um, I would either A, um, pass out or B, run as fast as I can, can, you know, um, a few years ago, our youth department decided that they were going to make a bumper for a message series, and I don't. It was about fear, and so their idea was to go around and scare all the staff members and film their reactions. Do you remember this? You don't remember this? Okay, this predates Scott, maybe. So they go around and they're taking videos of all of us being scared to death. I will confess to my reaction. I jumped and I screamed. I I was nice in my screaming. I didn't say anything mean, but I. Screamed screamed in that moment. However, Cindy Hughes, who knows Cindy Hughes? She is our, um, our discipleship pastor for our traditional services across town. They snuck up behind her. I think it was actually Jason Brown, our student minister, and they scared her and she turned around and punched them. <laughs> Not in the face, like in the arm, but um, no youth were harmed in the making of the video. And I think that that's probably why the, the film footage has disappeared. But um, it doesn't sound like like Mary punched Gabriel, okay? Luke just says that she was greatly troubled. But that does leave some room for interpretation, right? So I'm just going to let your imaginations go wild, fill it in however you want with how you think she reacted. Uh, but, but after the initial shock, Gabriel goes on and delivers his message. This is what he says. Um, he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay. So you've just been scared, perhaps a little bit afraid. An angel has appeared, and this is supposed to comfort you. But again, let's get real here. This would have been a very scary message to any first century woman receiving it, okay? First of all, it's scary on a practical level because Mary doesn't understand, right? Like, how is that going to happen? That's what she asked the angel. Um, she understands how babies are made and things are not adding up here. And so a lot of times with confusion comes fear. 
She would have been afraid on a practical level, but beyond that practical level, you know, there would have been a lot of social fear as well. In that culture, there was an order in which things were supposed to happen. You know, we had that little song, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes whoever with the baby carriage, right? That's not the order. Um, well, kind of the order, but that's, it wasn't the same in the first century. They would have had a different jingle. It was first your parents um, chose who you would marry before you became a teenager. There was a contract sign. Uh, then you were engaged, and then finally you were married. And only after all of that could you then have a child. That was how it was supposed to work. And so here is Mary receiving this news that she is going to have a child. And you know she has to think, like, what are my parents going to say? What are the whispers going to be down at the well? You know, can you imagine the eye rolls when she starts to tell people, well, actually an angel came and told me that this was going to happen, you know? It had to be terrifying at that social level for her. But also um, on, on, the, on the spiritual side of it all, too. You know, it had to be a bit scary in that sense because... You know, if it were me, I know I'd be like, um, really? This person? Here's Mary, a no one from nowhere. And God is saying to her, you're going to have this child that all of your people have been waiting for for centuries on end. You are going to birth and parent and nurture the son of the God most high. And he is going to reign on David's throne forever and ever without end. That is a pretty tall order for anyone. And so there had to be some fear, like, am I holy enough for this? Am I equipped enough? Am I prepared to take this on? There were plenty of reasons to be scared and to ask God to go and choose someone else. But after Gabriel very briefly explains that she's going to conceive through the Holy Spirit, Mary essentially says, okay, right? She responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary moves forward despite all the fear surrounding the situation. And that's what courage typically looks like. Um, as the great theologian John Wayne, y'all know he was a theologian, right? As he said, he said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Mary... She does that. She, she doesn't fully understand what's about to happen. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and we still don't fully understand how all of that um, took place. She doesn't know how everything's going to play out. She doesn't know what other people are going to say about this. She doesn't know if she has what it takes. But still, in this moment, she says, I'm in. And then everything was rosy and perfect from there, right? No. Things were still uncertain. I have no doubt that, that it was not smooth sailing. Uh, I have no doubt that she had some questions for God as she's riding along on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem when she is nine months pregnant. I'm sure there are days she was just shaking her head and, and questioning whether God should have chosen someone else. I have no doubt that there were days where she felt like a complete failure as a parent just like the rest of us. But on that day in her home, and then every day thereafter, she chose to show up. 
And she chose to say yes to this invitation that God was giving her, creating this very brave space because she was brave, right? And it's kind of contagious when we're brave. She creates this very brave space for Jesus to grow up in. A church is actually built over the cave where this encounter between Mary and Gabriel was is believed to have taken place. This is the church of the Annunciation. Um, you go in the door that kind of depicts all the, the events of Jesus's life, or at least the big moments. And then you walk into a large room where you can look down again into that cave, into that grotto uh, where the encounter took place. But then above that, there's this big rotunda that goes all the way up to the top of the building. Um, however, it's open to the second level there, which is the sanctuary um, that's above it. Um, whenever we went in, um, we happened to walk in while they were having a service, which is a very odd thing to just like walk in and spectate a service, but you do that a lot in the Holy Land. Um, and as we started to listen, we're like, oh, it's in English. We can understand it. And so Carla actually took a video of the service taking place. So let's just take in this space together. It's an absolutely gorgeous space. Um, but what makes it even more of a, a powerful experience when you're there is that the walls inside the church and then outside the church in the courtyard are lined with pictures of Mary, um, sometimes with Jesus, um, from from every, not every, but almost every nation around the world. And so you get to see all these different perspectives of Mary from, from different nations' point of view. This is the one that's from the United States. Um, but then we'll just flip through and show you some of the others that honor this woman who said yes to the invitation that she was given. Of course, uh, Mary didn't create this brave space all by herself, although at first it seemed like she might be on her own in this, right? Um, typically, the way um, things worked is um, you got engaged, as I said, and then there was like a year-long period before the actual ceremony took place and the marriage was consummated. And so Mary and Joseph are in the, in the middle of that. They're somewhere in the already but not yet of their relationship whenever she finds out that she is pregnant. Um, in, um, in many portraits or statues that you see of Joseph, the one that she's betrothed to, um, what you'll see is that he is holding a lily or a staff of lilies in his hand. Um, and there's a reason for this. There's a legend that says that whenever it came time for Mary to have her, her spouse chosen, her dad went out and collected all the walking sticks of all the eligible bachelors. This is like the original bachelor, you all. They got all the walking sticks. And whenever uh, they put them all together, Joseph's staff was the one that erupted into bloom, that blossomed. And it was a sign of him being divinely chosen to be Mary's husband, they say. That's how the legend goes. 
But despite this legendary start to their relationship, whenever he found out that she was pregnant, things got a little rough, right? It was kind of difficult. And and to Joseph's um, defense, I mean, you can understand why he struggled. He had to feel devastated. He had to feel confused and hurt. He, he had to wonder, like, what's happening in this moment? And so as a... Um, as a respectable Jewish man, he only had a few options. He could, one, publicly divorce her, which would mean like going in front of everyone and airing his grievances and telling everyone what she had done and then getting a divorce, um, which probably in that case would have led to Mary's death because that was the punishment for adultery at that point in time. Or the second option, he could privately divorce her. And what that would have looked like would be like going and only having a few witnesses involved and him not really telling the reason why he was divorcing her and having the whole thing annulled. And that's what he had chosen. Um, in that situation, the way that, that that would have worked is that when people found out later after the marriage was annulled that she was pregnant, most people probably would have assumed that the child was Joseph's. So he was willing to take the shame upon himself to protect Mary in that situation. Situation. But marrying Mary, that was not an option that was on the table. That is, until Joseph gets a visit from an angel as well. And this is what the angel says to him in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And what does Jesus do? Matthew says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. Joseph, he did the unthinkable in that situation. Yes, he has all these questions. Yes, he has all these concerns. Yes, he has pride that he wants to protect. Yes, he, he's concerned about what others will think and whether or not they'll see him as righteous. But he's able to move through all of that, to walk through that fear and to choose to show up. He says yes to raising this child as his own flesh and blood day after day, again and again. He chooses to be brave. And again, he helps create this brave space for Jesus to grow up in. This is the church of St. Joseph. Um, it's just a few, a few feet away from the Church of the Annunciation. Um, and you enter the church and are able to go down and go into the space that's um, the traditionally believed home of Joseph and his family, where Jesus would have grown up. Um, their home would have been in this cave, and their workshop would have been a part of it. This would have been the place where Jesus spent like the first 30 years of his life side by side with his father, who was the village carpenter, building people furniture when they needed it and fixing stuff when it got broke. Again, there's not a lot recorded about any of this in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when we read them, uh, which I think is why I was so taken by any picture I saw of Jesus, not as a little baby or a grown man, but as a child or as a young adult. Um, this was um, one sculpture that we saw that that had Jesus kind of taking his first steps. And then um, in, in the church of St. Joseph, um, there was this picture of him working alongside his father, 
But because the Bible doesn't talk about it, I think we kind of don't think about these years in between. These years where he was being nurtured by these faithful people. These faithful people who, of course, said yes to this like big thing that God was asking of them. But much more importantly, these people who, who said yes to all these little things as they went along. They said yes to to giving this child love and tenderness. They said yes to showing him patience and grace and action. They said yes to feeding his belly and his soul. They said yes to, to teaching him about his faith and the history of his people. They said yes to, to listening to him and getting down on the floor to play. They said yes over and over and over again, despite the fact that I'm sure they didn't always get it right. Despite the fact that, that they weren't perfect, that there were days where they wondered what in the world they were doing or had signed up for because they got tired like the rest of us. But here is what they did. <laughs> they kept showing up. They kept stepping up to the plate and offering what it, what it was that they did have to offer to their son. And this brave space that they created together nurtured him so that he could grow in wisdom and knowledge and obedience to the Lord. It shaped him into the brave person he was that showed up for others as well. Our world, it needs more brave spaces. It needs more brave spaces in, in which people can thrive and come fully alive like Jesus had there in Nazareth. And you know what? It starts with normal people like you and like me showing up like Mary and Joseph. It starts with us saying yes to welcoming others into our lives, even when we, we don't have it all figured out and, and when we aren't perfect experts and when we might even be scared a little bit. It starts with us being willing to be vulnerable and to let people see who we truly are and, and then offering what it is we have, be that just like a hug or a handshake or a smile or a listening ear, love, acceptance, a tear. Being brave, it can be super awkward, especially when we're like just getting started with it. But the more we do it, the more natural it becomes. And then the world around us becomes braver with us in the process. I was thinking a little bit about how I've seen this play out in my life in just like the last 24 hours. Um, I went out to my mailbox and yesterday and I pulled out a card and um, it was from a person that I kind of know. You know, like they're not my best friend. I go have coffee with every week. I run into them every now and then. And it was just like out of the blue. And I open up this card and essentially the card didn't say this, but this is how it felt to me. It felt like I see you, you know, have you ever had one of those moments? Like maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been just like doing your thing, working hard and showing up. Right. And you wonder like that maybe nobody even notices and maybe they don't even need to, right. It's not about that, but to have someone just out of nowhere say like, I see you, like it makes you brave. They've done this brave thing. They've stepped out. They sent it to you. And now it makes me brave to show up again and again. Or I think about uh, Wendell. See in here somewhere? There he is. I think about Wendell and my son. I was watching them this morning. Um, 
Wendell's been brave with my son. Lincoln, uh, Lincoln can sometimes be slow to warm up to people, right? And uh, you might try to talk to him and he'll just like go the other way. <laughs> but Wendell has been consistent with, with Lincoln and just like initiating conversation with him, showing, showing interest in him. And uh, a few weeks ago, Wendell did a very brave thing because he sent an amp home with my child uh, who's wanting to learn how to play the electric guitar. And um, I can see a marked difference. Like Lincoln had a guitar before this, right? But since Wendell believed in him, like he goes upstairs and he plugs that guitar into the amp and it's really loud, no matter what level he puts it in on, because I go up to check. Um, And like, he just like works on it and works on it. Last week, Wendell taught him a little intro to something and he's worked on it all week. Yesterday he uh, wrote, wrote a little song. He's like, don't, I took a video. He said, don't send it to Wendell. I've got to play it for him tomorrow, you know? But I mean, like Wendell was brave with him and now I'm watching my son become more brave in the process. That's what happens, right? Like, I think we forget it's hard for all of us. We think it comes natural to everyone. But all of us uh, have fears, but we have to move through them to make those connections with others. Um, all of us are already a part of a whole lot of spaces, right? I'm not going to ask you to go out and find a new space to be brave in, <laughs> but you're already a part of your home. You're already a part of your workplace. You're already a part of this church and this water community. And so what would it look like for you to show up a little bit more fully where you already are? Is there an invitation that you sense that God has, has been, been giving you that you just keep turning down for one reason or another? Maybe it's an invitation to befriend someone or to encourage someone or to mentor someone to comfort someone, to nurture someone in one way or another, what would it look like for you to just say yes instead of no to that invitation, to not worry about doing it perfectly, but just being concerned about being present in that moment and offering whatever it is that you have to give. Just like Mary and Joseph's love nurtured this bravery in Jesus, guess what? His love nurtures that same bravery in us. And so I want to invite you to just receive a blessing today, a blessing um, that I hope invites you to receive his love anew. And my prayer is that this love will make you brave. If you would, just close your eyes and maybe put your hands out in your lap so that you can receive it. Blessed are we when Jesus' love makes us brave to try something new, to make a big leap, to take a chance on love, to risk, to fail, and to try, try, try again. This is the love that sticks. So bless all of us in our great big web of love that begins with your great love for us, Lord. Amen.